Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Welcome to this time where we engage the word, where we come together in our spirit, where we quiet our hearts, where we seek to be led, to have direction, to grow. And I hope that you're ready for that. And sometimes that growth takes time. Sometimes most of the time, maybe every time, that growth comes in a way we didn't quite expect. And so as we come to this moment where we go from this time of praise and worship through song and we enter into this time where we praise and worship through being honest and open, through seeking and listening. Uh, May we prepare ourselves accordingly. Please pray with me. Lord, I am grateful that we have your word, that we can come to what's written what was written so long ago, what has been carefully passed down, what has been discussed, meditated on, what has been shared and talked about, what has helped people across thousands of years come to understand about life, about themselves, about you, about your purpose for this world, about the grander story Lord, I ask that you speak to us now as you have spoken to so many as we consider what was written, what was intended, how it was presented, as we seek to hear from that original voice to allow you to speak once again. May you bless all that has been prepared. May you speak through me in spite of me. And Lord, bless us as we hear, as we are ready to receive, as we are ready to allow you to work, whether it's planting a seed or nurturing growth. Lord, help us to hear you in spite of ourselves. Lord, we ask that you help us embody what it is you reveal, that we can become more your children and more your church, that we can walk evermore in the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may all that we think and say and hear and embody, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. And through your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. We are going to continue in the parables. So we're in Matthew 13, and we're going to read three verses today. And they involve two parables that you've probably heard at least once, probably many times. And if we quickly review, we started week one at the very beginning of chapter 13 as Jesus is entering into this time where people are wondering who he really is. He's doing and saying things a Messiah would do. 
but he's not doing them the way that people expected a Messiah to do. He's talking about himself like he's the king, yet he's not doing the things they expected the king to do. And people from all areas of the faith of Jesus' life are questioning who he really is. And so people are doubting, they're, they're discrediting. Some people are abandoning everything to follow him. And we come to this time where he, he makes it very clear in chapter, chapter 12 that his presence is going to cause division and separation. It's going to cause people to not be able to continue to follow because it's breaking their expectation. It's disappointing them. It's demanding more than maybe we often think it should demand. And so week one was talking about the four soils and the parable of the farmer. And we just allowed that to resonate with us, that there is seed sown. The kingdom is the seed, the word about the kingdom. And that some of the word that is spread in Jesus' day is just simply not taking because of those expectations getting in the way. And they come in many forms and he covers those. But the ones that are grasping are growing exponentially, miraculously, far beyond what we could have expected. And then last week, talking about the kingdom in this growth and that we recognize that there's still evil in the world. So the kingdom's here, but there's still evil. And sometimes we take it upon ourselves to be God and try to root out the evil and confront it and we end up doing more damage when we try to take matters into our own hands by our own judgments. And so we're, we were assured through that parable that there will be a harvest time and there will be a dividing, but that will be a divine dividing. It's not our place. And so this week we come to parables that kind of end this section. Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the weeds, and then these two parables come in, and then there's an explanation of the parable of the wheat and weeds. And so sandwiched between the, the parable and this explanation, the explanation being in private, the parable being given in the public, there are these two really short parables. And so let's visit today's reading. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through verse 33. Jesus told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Yes, you've heard these before. And what are they talking about? What would people have heard in Jesus' day? What does the writer that gave us this gospel account, what were they understanding it to mean? Which is why they put it in this particular order. Other gospels don't put it exactly in this order. But, but this writer pairs the two together and places it in this particular place between the parable and the explanation of the wheat and weeds. Again, the parable is about the kingdom. So what does the parable focus on? It, it focuses on a contrast and the inevitability is the best that we can make of this. Now, lots of effort has gone into allegorizing every little piece of the parable, but that was not the way parables were used. So thinking about what the mustard seed represents and exactly and, and 
every little breakdown of every piece of this parable is really going to ask more of the parable than the parable was ever intended to answer. And so what I want us to do is just think through the parable. So we have the mustard seed. So the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And what is significant about this mustard seed? Well, it's the smallest, right? If we, look, we put all the seed in the world together, mustard seed isn't going to be the absolute smallest, but of all the seed, I mean, you're talking the smallest seed, the mustard will be in that group. So the smallest of seed, the most seemingly insignificant, the most unimpressive is planted. And soon, this smallest of seeds becomes the biggest of vegetable plants. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for tree is the same word that's given to a grapevine, it's given to a, a bush, and it's given to a, a humongous tree. So let's not get fixated on a plant versus tree because a mustard plant is, is about as tall as I am and probably about you know, this wide or so, maybe a little wider. It's, it's, not, it's not a towering tree, but rather it's, it's a smaller kind of bush. It's a, it's a big vegetable bush. And again, the smallest of seeds to the biggest of vegetable plants. It has branches and leaves that provide shade, and the birds find place to nest. Yeah, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. So a few things we could break down real quickly is that in the day of Jesus' contemporaries, talking about different kingdoms, you would use a symbol just like we use symbols now. And so the symbol of our country is an eagle, Right? The eagle was the symbol of Rome, so they used a bird. But in Israel, they often talked about other kingdoms in the form of trees. And so you'd hear the mighty cedars of Lebanon uplifted. Now, these people were tree people. That's what they grew. They were farmers of trees. They grew olives. They grew grapes. Remember, all of its trees. And so they symbolized different things with trees. And so the story, the prophets have told the story of Israel as a vine, as a tree, cut down to a stump, waiting for the righteous shoot to come off to start the regrowth of Israel as it was intended to be. And so they would probably do what we do now, which is we think of grand and mighty. And so we might envision this grand tree, the biggest and the best of trees. And that's what Israel would have expected to see the kingdom be represented as the biggest and best tree. So it's interesting that Jesus doesn't use that. Now again, it's on the contrast of the smallest of seed to the biggest of plants. But it is peculiar that Jesus uses something so unexpected, even scandalous. I mean, who would want to envision our country's symbol being the mighty sparrow? That would be like someone lifting that up. You're thinking, oh, this is a climatic image. And then you're like a sparrow, not an eagle. Interesting choice. The kingdom is here. It's like the smallest of seeds, seemingly insignificant. And I think a lot of the people seeing what Jesus was doing would have thought what he was doing was fairly insignificant. Now, he's working miracles, and that is not insignificant. But what's supposed to happen the way they expected was that Jesus would arise in full power as a king, pick up the sword, amass an army, and then God would come and be with them as they struck down and eliminated all the Gentiles from their land. But Jesus isn't doing anything close to that. In fact, he's consistently asking people to set that way of life to the side, to abandon it. He's asking people who are expecting that 
the new Israel, the new nation, the Messiah, would be following the letter of the purity code and law in its fullest. It would look a lot like what the Pharisees are doing, which is trying to follow all these rules and regulations, trying to be very strict on what they're doing based on what the Bible has said to do. The Hebrew Scriptures has said that they must do what the people are all about, but Jesus seems to be a little less interested in the way that they're going about uplifting what the word and the law is instructing the people to be. Because it's not instructing people to look this particular way, to stand out, to stand above with noses up and how good and mighty and righteous are we. And Jesus isn't telling people we're gonna be the best nation, the biggest tree, we're gonna really put people on their place. No, he's, he's touching and eating with and befriending and calling all the wrong people by the standards and expectations of his day. We might understand this. There's a lot of confrontation being had across many churches across our land about what the expectation is to be a good American, to be a good Christian, to be a good mother or father or brother, whatever it is. We have our expectations and we know what those are. We have it pictured in our mind. And then Jesus would probably just challenge a lot of that, not be interested in the things we are interested in. And we might start to think, that, okay, you're not doing any of the things we thought. You're not gonna lead us and become this great and powerful thing. So what Jesus is doing, all these having meals and, and telling parables and, and challenging the status quo of the day seem pretty insignificant in the grand scheme. Rome is still in power. Jesus, you're doing nothing about this. Well, it's the smallest of actions. And he says, it will become the biggest of plants. And something to know about mustard is it will take over wherever it's planted. In fact, it was not allowed to be planted in certain areas, but it spreads and it's notoriously hard to stop spreading. A mustard seed plant might start growing and you might not notice because it's not impressive. But if you don't pay attention you might suddenly look up and find it everywhere. And the impact of the presence of the mustard seed is a significant impact. It's gonna take a lot of work to deal with it. And the kingdom of God amidst the kingdoms of the world, the world, if the kingdom of God goes unchecked, will suddenly find that it's something to really deal with. It challenges everything, the understanding of power, the understanding of our purpose of our lives, what success is, what true power is, what it is to truly be loving, to be gods, to be chosen, to be righteous, to be the people through which God is choosing to work through. Now, the second parable is very similar. So it goes from kind of a farmer, what you, in their time, stereotypically, uh, it would have been a man planting seed, growing plants and trees. So it switches and, and suddenly we're, we have a woman preparing bread and she's kneading yeast or in their day they called something similar. It's different, but it's very similar. Leaven, we don't really use that word anymore. So yeast is a great way to talk about it. Yeast is just a little bit. It goes into the dough and you work it and you work it and you work it. And you could look at two lumps of dough and not know which one the yeast is in early in the process. But by the end of the process, in given time, well, it's undeniable to know which one the yeast is in. 
Now, again, significant with this is the small amount of yeast and the incredibly large amount of flour that's being worked into the dough, into the bread. Now, this, this particular measurement would serve 100 to 150 people. Now, it seems extravagant, but in Jesus' day, a lot of the communities were set up where everyone kind of had common space. And so people would eat and share with each other. And if you were making bread, you, you would probably go out and make it with other people. It would be an event. It would take time. And you might make enough to feed everybody. And so we find this hint of abundance, which is all throughout Scripture and, and what Jesus is doing, this hint of abundance. But the, the idea is that this massive amount of dough receives a very small, seemingly insignificant yeast. And in fact, as soon as you start working it in, it is inconceivable. You can't, you can't know there's yeast in it as people are working it. And so Jesus' actions, again, might seem insignificant or might to the authorities and the powers of his day might go unnoticed. But as his work continues to spread, to become a part of the lives of his disciples and the crowds and the disciples' disciples, if it goes unchecked before long, the whole thing is going to feel the effects. And over time, the presence will be undeniable. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And so we, we carry this parable among the others, all of them giving a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like, none of them all encompassing. What we find is that the kingdom is present with Jesus Christ. That is clear in the gospel narratives. It is undeniable that's what he preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then the way that he's described, it's as if the presence of God is in and around him in the same way that it was the temple. So the place where, where heaven and earth meet, the place where God is with the people, where it was in the building of the temple, where people would go a long way to stand in the presence of this overlapping reality, Jesus is saying it's all around him and in him and through him. And he's actually giving that kind of presence and power to the disciples and eventually through the Holy Spirit. And what kind of work is the kingdom of God doing? Then it seemed insignificant and unexpected. Should we expect it to be any different today? Sometimes we catch ourselves getting caught up in the idea that our faith is going to produce something big and powerful that we might liken to a mighty oak tree or a mighty eagle. In fact, uh, not picking on Eugene Peterson because Eugene Peterson is awesome, but the translation or the interpretation that he offers on the mustard seed is it's no longer a mustard seed, it is a, a cedar seed. And then he describes it growing into this mighty and illustrious, the biggest of all trees where the eagles nest. And so I think we see this same kind of thing that we struggle with entering into how it's translated or interpreted in the message that suddenly we're back to wanting the biggest and best by our standards rather than recognizing the seemingly insignificant and the common, the common symbol of yeast and dough and mustard seed into a vegetable plant. And remember that little tagline in the mustard seed where the, the birds would come and, and find a place to nest, the common bird is the word there. It's nothing, nothing significant about the birds either. Everything about the kingdom, by the world standards, by our 
expectation is quite insignificant because we have to completely turn our whole idea of what God is really calling us to be about, what God is really bringing to the world, how it flies in the face of all those entities that claim to be powerful and strong and the biggest and the best. God is not interested in these things. So why are we? Well, we immediately benefit when we're a part of the biggest and best. That affords privileges. That affords advantages. And so we want to be, right, when we're little, we want to be, you know, well, when we're really little, we want our dad to be the toughest, right? My dad can beat up your dad. Or when we get a little older, we want to be on the best team, right? And then we get a little bit older, we want to go to the best school. We want to work for the best company. We want our kids to have the best opportunities uh, to be as successful as possible to where we even talk about kids going into college, young adults going into college and what they want to do. And often the conversation from older people and even from younger is more steered to, well, what's going to make the best paycheck? What's going to give you the biggest house, the highest status, the most expensive car, the nicest clothes? How are you going to be seen as successful? And I think if Jesus were to tell the story using something fairly insignificant, like a mustard seed and yeast, I think many of us would kind of turn our noses up at that. I'm not interested in that. That's nothing grand or great. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So what will we be looking for? And the conversations that are had in our context today, our community, right across the river, the conversations are about racism. The conversations are about power, are about privilege. And they're tough conversations. And we're hearing, we're hearing things said that we don't like to hear, or we've never heard, or we don't understand, or we don't want to understand. And yet it's not going away. And frankly, I hope it doesn't, because we have much work to do. Just as the kingdom began in Jesus, it has not come to full fruition. We have not seen the full growth of the mustard plant. We have not seen the full working of the yeast and the dough to the finished product. That will happen. That's assured. But it takes time. And it can be present even when you can't see it at work. And so we have work to do here. The civil rights began the process of turning the page, but it is not here yet. Now, I'm not an expert. I can't tell you how far the page has turned and how far it has not. And frankly, I don't live the kind of reality that gives me any sort of expertise. I'm quite privileged as a white-skinned male. I, I really don't have to deal with any of the things that a lot of my brothers and sisters of color have to deal with. Something as simple, and I've been we've been teaching this class on Thursday nights, and, and maybe you haven't tuned in, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm helping lead a, a course through Facebook Live, and there are seven of us clergy um, from the United Methodist Church and, uh, and an, another leader from a church, and we are working through the book Understanding and Dismantling Racism. It's a book by Joseph Barnt. It's the 21st century challenge to white America. Joseph Barnt is white. 
And so what Barnt is lifting up to us to show us is, is things that I didn't know. And in the conversation I've had with these clergy people, some of it online where you can see and some of it's been just side conversation and private and preparation. But I didn't know that people really got their receipts checked at the grocery store. I mean, I see someone standing there, but I've never had my receipt checked. But come to find out that my clergy sisters of color have theirs checked a vast majority of the time, as do a lot of people that look like them, is interesting and, and disturbing. Why theirs and not mine? Well, I guess I probably know the answer as much as I don't really want to admit it. And that's just checking a receipt. Uh, we're not talking about the kind of job availability and opportunity that, that I get that others don't. We're not talking about the way that I've never been in fear when I've dealt with the police because I know the police are there to protect and serve, but that is not the, the impression of my brothers and sisters of color. Now, right or wrong, I can argue about it all day, right? And, and Lord knows there's enough of that going on. But I start to ask myself the question when I think about the mustard seed, I think about the yeast. I want to grow in who I am. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to grow in the spirit. I want to grow as a child of God. And I can look back at my life and identify a lot of areas where I was given really good support, but, but I also went a lot of really bad ways, made bad decisions. I have my mistakes and regrets. I have my, the things in my life that I don't want to think about, you know, that I just wish I could forget about, the hardships that I faced. And you know what I'm talking about because we've all been there. And I know that to get where God wants to take me is going to take a lot of growth. I am not there yet. God has made some good progress with me through this amazing grace that we are given. But there's still a long way to go. So what does that look like? Could I even imagine that I could understand what it might look like at this point? No way. Not any more than I could at 18 determine what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, which I was certain that I knew. Well, spoiler alert, this was not it. And I don't hold that against my 18-year-old self. How could I have known all that life really was? Well, the same conversation with me now at 40. How can I know where God's going to lead me? It's the same conversation you can have no matter if you're 20 or 60 or 90. How do you know what God has to show you? Are you preparing yourself for the kingdom and all that it has to reveal? All the little seeds that have been planted along the way, are you prepared as God encourages their growth in you? Are we resisting the spirits leading in the day to day? If I have brothers and sisters of color telling me that there's something seriously wrong in a large number of them and those that I know and respect and love all telling me the same thing, then I have a duty to say, maybe I have more growth in this area. And maybe I just trust God to lead me. What do I have to lose? My pride. My ego might suffer. Yeah. But what am I after? What do I want to see? Am I looking for the kingdom that God is bringing or am I looking for my own? Am I looking to, to be a part of this great and grand mighty oak tree or am I seeking after the mustard plant? Do I trust that God is working in my life like a yeast 
that's working in the church like a yeast permeating every single bit of it, taking us to places we never thought we could have been, taking us into whole understandings of ourselves and others and the world around us and our community in ways we never anticipated. Oh, yes, friends. God wants to lead you into the kind of growth that brings true life. Jesus Christ came to reveal that to us. And in these parables is teasing our minds and inviting us in, inviting us to realize that everything we feel might be insignificant and God's eyes might look completely different. And everything we think is significant and God's eyes might look and probably does look completely different. So what do we have to lose? To explore, to be curious, to grow. May you consider the kingdom as told through the parables. May you let the kingdom Continue to challenge your expectation. Continue to invite you into directions you never would have considered. Continue to reveal to you that there is still so much more life God has to bring in you and through you for the sake of the world around us. And so in our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, let us seek out even the little insignificant moments where we can grasp some growth and truth and trust that God will bring its abundance in time. And that maybe when Jesus comes and the kingdom is fully ushered in, that we may stand and say, oh yeah, yep, that's, that's kind of what I expected it to look like. Maybe we get to that point, wouldn't that be good? And we might start to recognize it all around us right now in a way that Jesus' contemporaries struggled in his day. May we look for signs of the kingdom and may we be a part of the ongoing growth. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.